WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. The main topic of this interview is sexual violence and as such, explicit language may be present and the guest may use accurate language when violent sexually explicit themes are being discussed. It is very possible that you may find these conversations uncomfortable, inappropriate, or triggering. Please take this into careful consideration before listening to this interview. It is likely that some of the individuals listening to this interview are survivors of sexual violence. Please participate in self-care before and after listening to the interview. You can also take advantage of the resources listed below in our description. Today's interview is going to be about a pretty tough topic, sexual assault. Sexual assault is not something that we talk about often, let alone the support that there is out there. There are many different ways that the community can support someone who has been sexually assaulted. Today we're here to talk with Fumi Ayeni, who is from the MSU Psychology Department, and she's going to talk to us about her research with support for sexual assault. So my name is Fumi Ayeni. And I am Nigerian-American, so that's where my name comes from. And my identity as a Nigerian and my identity as an American, but also a survivor of sexual assault, is in many ways related to the work that I do. And so before I talk about my work today, I would like to say that I will be using a lot of terms related to sexual and gender-based violence. And so if you're a survivor or if you may be affected by any of the things that I say in any way, please know that there are resources available for you here on MSU's campus. So we have the MSU SAFE. And we also have the MSU Sexual Assault Center that you can visit to get resources and tools to help you or help a loved one if you're affected by any of these things. So my work, like I said, is situated around gender and sexual-based violence. And specifically, I work with populations here in the United States, minority populations, specifically African-American populations. And I work with the people who provide services to them, so group facilitators, advocates, and I work with them to look at the services and the programs and the projects that they provide to see how effective these services are for the populations that they serve. And that is what my thesis research is concerned with. Thanks for that introduction, Fumi. Can you give us a little bit more of an elaboration about what you mean on these different tools and services? Yes. So each organization, a human service organization, would provide different types of services for survivors. In the context of the work that I do, a lot of these agencies are providing emotional support services, which could be things like mental health counseling, individual counseling. They may also provide housing services. So for people who are in transitional housing, so who need a place to stay, they'll provide shelter services. They may also provide legal aid services. So they would help the victim to file a police report if they want to do that, a restraining order, a PPO if they need to do that, and then also accompany them to court-mandated things that they need to do. So they do provide a range of services. And so when I come into the organization, I'm working with them to look at the different services that they provide, how they're providing the services, and see if it matches the needs of the people that they serve. And if not, then we work together to modify and adapt the services to make sure that the people who are benefiting from it are optimally benefiting. How do you analyze whether the people are receiving the proper services that they need? Like, do you have a specific survey in the beginning and middle at the end of their time with you? And, like, is there a specific amount of time that people are usually with you or the organization for help? 
So specifically, as it relates to the work that I did for my thesis research, I worked with an Afrocentric sexual assault agency, and they provide different support groups for survivors. So the support group that I looked at was called the HIP, Healing is Possible Intervention. And specifically what they do is they bring survivors together in a room on a weekly basis, and they just have conversations about their identities. So the intersection of their identities as women, as survivors of sexual assault, and as black women in America. And so those may be back conversations about the things that are happening in the society as present, or they might be talking about historical trauma. They talk about topics like forgiveness. They watch movies and they analyze that. And so in my work with this organization, I spoke with the women. So I used a qualitative method to get a better understanding of how coming together every week was beneficial for them, if at all, and see how that had impacted their lives. Where in the state of Michigan is this center located? And are there other centers across the nation that exist that are similar to this? So this center is located in the Detroit area of Michigan, and they're one of the few culturally specific agencies available in Michigan. And so culturally specific agencies are actually not as common as we would think they are. We have more mainstream organizations that provide services. And the difference between a mainstream organization and a culturally specific organization is that a mainstream organization takes what we call a Eurocentric approach to providing services. And what that means is they focus on the individual. So it's a very individualistic approach, while a culturally specific organization would take an approach that looks at the person holistically and looks at their identity, their multiple identities and the um, this, the multiple salient identities that they come into the space with. And so for the context of the organization that I worked with, they are very Afrocentric in their approaches and the programs and the projects that they put on are influenced by the cultural identity of African-Americans. By using the terminology African-American, I believe that that's still a pretty broad terminology because Africa's a gigantic continent and there are different countries within it. How do you take into account the different borders and the different cultures across Africa and other places that people might be from or associate themselves with and their identity? So culturally specific approaches have various components of them. Regardless of the population that you're working with, there are certain elements that are encouraged for culturally specific approaches, and one of them is having a representative staff. And so, for example, the agency that I worked with was located predominantly in an African-American community in the Detroit area. And so all of the staff that they employed identified as African-American and presented as black. And so in doing that and just having people who look like the members of the community it breaks a a barrier that could potentially exist with identity. And what I did find in my research was a lot of the women found the group facilitators were more credible to them because they felt like they looked like them, they spoke like them, they understood them, and so they felt like they could trust them. And so that's just one component of a culturally specific approach. Another component of a culturally specific approach is to make sure that the people who you're creating the intervention for or who you're going to be working with are part of the development process. And so with this particular intervention, what the organization had done was they had had focus groups and conversations with women in the community to really ask them, what do you need? And what would be the value of this type of group intervention for you? What are the topics that you would want us to talk about? How do you want us to talk about this topics? Should this be an open group? Should this be a closed group? So all the information they collected from the community was what informed the intervention that they eventually developed. That's just an example of how an organization would use culturally specific components to develop an intervention. 
And so while the people they serve might be di diverse, when you look across the board and you include all of the components of use, utilizing a culture-specific approach, it's able to be a bit more targeted for the population that you serve. Of the population of people that go to these different centers, what does the population compose of in regards to domestic participants versus international participants? And does the intervention change depending on those circumstances? Yes. So the intervention does change depending on the community that the organization works with, particularly with the community and the organization that I worked with. The population was largely African-American and they were largely people who were born in the United States. However, there have been organizations that I've worked with that have served a large immigrant or refugee population. And as such, the intervention will change depending on the specific needs of that community. So some of the components of an intervention for a refugee committee might include language access. That's something that's really important. Religion for some refugee and immigrant populations is a very essential component. And so people who are developing these programs need to think about these things. And that's where talking to a community comes in play, right? So having focus groups with them, asking them specifically what their needs are, and then using that information to inform the development of an intervention is usually the appropriate way to go when creating an intervention for a different population. I think it's very admirable that these organizations are trying to do things like this and help out the community. In order to provide these services and this help, I would believe that it costs a lot of money, for example, like even the legal services. How does the organization afford this? Like, are they a nonprofit or something like that? Yes. So a lot of these organizations have to seek for funding for the programs and the projects that they offer for survivors. Specifically, the organization that I worked with is a nonprofit. And so they have to apply for grants. Because they're considered a culturally specific organization, they apply for grants that the state offers for culturally specific work. However, these grants are few and far between, and so a lot of fundraising has to happen. And this is one of the struggles that they have, because when they spend time fundraising, it takes away from the time that they, have to, they can spend providing programs and projects for survivors. And so part of doing this work was to shed light on what they do and to also encourage national, state, and local funding agencies to support this work. How do people hear about the existence of these centers in the first place? Do these centers have community ambassadors that will go out to the different events that happen locally? So yes, people can hear about the group in numerous ways, particularly with my thesis. One of the questions that I did ask was how they came to hear about the intervention, and the women had shared that they heard about it through personal recommendations from a friend or a family member, so someone else who had interfaced with the agency or who had heard about the agency in their circles, and then made a personal recommendation to them. Others had shared that they heard about the group by attending a community event where someone from the agency was present and spoke about the services that the agency has to offer. So they decided to go that way. In some instances, people were accompanying a family member or friend to the agency, and then they found out about other services and then wanted to get involved themselves. And for some people, they just found it online. So on the agency's website when they were searching for resources and also on social media pages. I'm not sure if you're allowed to answer this, but what were some other questions that you would ask the people that you worked with? 
This was my thesis study, and so I had IRB approval for this, and I conducted interviews with some of the women who had received services from the agency, particularly women who were involved in that intervention. And I asked them questions ranging from why they decided to come to the intervention and how they heard about the intervention, which we just talked about. But really what I was trying to understand was what the value of the intervention was for them, if at all there was any value to it, and how the culturally specific components of the intervention were helpful for their experience, and also what the perceived impact of the intervention was for them in their lives, if at all. With the completion of your interviews, what have been the results that you have observed from these interviews in the first place? Yes, so I analyzed my data, and one of the things that I found on the front end was the reason why women decided to come to the group. And a lot of them talked about wanting to have a space to share whether it happened to them, a space to get closure, and also to learn trauma coping mechanisms. But what was very particular was they wanted a space where they could do it with women who look like them, women who understood their experiences because of that shared racial match, and a place to feel safe in talking about some of these things. I also asked the women what culturally specific components of the intervention was helpful for their experience. So remember I talked about how the intervention was created based off of very culturally specific components. And so I wanted to know how, if at all, these components that were included in the intervention was helpful for the women, if they even noticed that there were some culturally specific components. And what I found was overwhelmingly a lot of the women did like the intervention because of these components. And so I'll talk about some of the components that were included. One of it is the opening and closing affirmation. And so what that essentially is, is before the session starts and right before the session ends, the group facilitator will read out an opening affirmation. And so she does it in a caller and spouse format. So she'll say it and then the women will repeat it after her. And a lot of the women like that practice because for them it centered them in the space. It also gave them ownership of the space. And a lot of them were able to relate that activity to things that they do in their normal lives. So, for example, one of the women talked about how she does that in church with the Optimus Creed. And for that, for her, that was familiar. And so the familiarity of that particular action for them was very helpful because it made them feel like, oh, I belong here. You know, this space is for me and I know what this is and I can relate to it. Another culturally specific component of the intervention that the women identified as helpful to them was the emphasis on the history of African-American women. The women would engage in group conversations and they would also do activities and watch movies that centered around their identities as women, as black, and as survivors of sexual assault. And a lot of these would look at the historical experiences of women and how the bodies of black women were used and abused in the era of slavery and connect that to present-day realities of black women in America. And for them, this was in a way enlightening because it gave them, helped them to be resilient through their current struggles, but also helped them better understand how their experiences go beyond just their gender, how that is related to their race and ethnicity, and how that is related to the other identities that they have and they bring into the space. And so for them, that was very helpful. So there were other components that were discussed, but I just wanted to highlight those two because for me, that was a direct representation of what the intervention was trying to do by incorporating these elements to help the women feel like this is for them and help it be beneficial to them. Did the women talk about the impacts of the intervention that they received outside of the group setting? Yes, they did. 
So one of the questions that I asked was if at all the intervention had been impactful for them and how it had been impactful. And so there were a lot of responses, but I'll just talk about some of the top ones that the women highlighted. The first is encouraging disclosure. So many of the women talked about the ways in which coming to the group session had given them the confidence to let go of the shame and the blame that they had associated with their assault and talk about the assault that they had experienced. And some of them did this in private settings, so they talked about it with their family members, while some of them did it in more public settings where one of the participants who had been sexual assaulted at the university talked to the university leadership about the assault. Another benefit that the women discussed was being engaged in advocacy. So the women talked about how being part of that intervention increased their capacity and knowledge for advocacy, not just for themselves, but for others. And so a lot of the women are currently involved in advocacy efforts, which include supporting other survivors. So some of them actually volunteer now with other sexual assault agencies where they provide help to survivors. Some of the women also engage in advocacy within their community. So in their churches where they're talking about sexual assault with people in the community, they're doing it in their homes. And so they're just engaged in multiple ways to put the word out there about the nature of sexual assault, the consequences, and offer survivors services wherever they encounter survivors. One of the things that the women also highlighted was how it reduced isolation. And so a lot of these women had never spoken about their sexual assault before coming to the group setting. And for some of them, for a few of them, they had talked about it with maybe one or two family members. And so being part of that group allowed them to feel like they weren't alone in their experience. They could be surrounded by other survivors who had gone through something so traumatic and come out on the other side. And so they felt that sense of unity, sisterhood, togetherness, and that helped to reduce how isolated they felt in their experience overall. Overall, it's clear that you're really passionate about this particular subject. Are there any other initiatives that you're involved with as well? So related to my identity as Nigerian-American, I maintain a connection to home by working with organizations that provide services to survivors in that context. And one of the organizations that I work with is called the Stand to End Rape Initiative, and they are a youth-led nonprofit organization that work at various levels at the individual, community, and systems level to influence practices and policies in providing services to sexual assault survivors. I also work in that context with other organizations that focus on issues of domestic violence, so intimate partner violence, female genital mutilation, domestic servitude, and child abuse. Your advocacy efforts are admirable. You volunteer at a range of organizations on such difficult topics that impact and support many survivors in the community. Based on all your experiences, do you know what you want to do after your PhD? So some of the work that I currently do is related to practice and policy and translating some of the programs and projects that we do into policies that support survivors. And so what I'm really hoping to do after graduation is to work with international organizations that are specific to the Nigerian context and West African context to identify ways in which we can create survivor-centered programs and trauma-informed programs, and then translate that into policies that support survivor rights to ensure that every survivor has access to the resources that they need, but we can also prevent people from becoming survivors in the first place. That all sounds really incredible. Thank you so much for coming in today to talk about your research with us. 
Thank you so much for having me. The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Voodoo and Daniel Puentes for Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Sophie Sagan, program director, Amber Konutsky, station manager, Joe Dandron, and general manager, Jeremy Whiting. This show, as well as the entire Impact 89FM podcast lineup, can be found online at impact89fm.org or by searching for The Sci-Files on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on the Sci-Files, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at sci-files at impact89fm.org. See you next week on Sci-Files. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science.